Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Ruth King, who's a serial entrepreneur, and she's actually owned eight businesses across 40 different years. She's also running the Business Ventures Corporation, which she began all the way back in 1986. Through this company, she coaches, trains, and helps clients accomplish the business growth and goals they want to achieve. In fact, one of her biggest successes was helping one client take their initial revenue from $750,000 in cash to later selling the business in a total value of $9 million in cash. Pretty crazy. She's also the author of the best-selling book, Courage to be Profitable and Profit or Wealth. We'll be talking about entrepreneurship and business ownership today. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. You know, one of my favorite things about this show is we talk a lot about business, but there's something special about having someone on the podcast who doesn't just understand business, but has done business. In fact, the person who's joining me on the show today is Ruth King. She's a serial entrepreneur and she's someone who she hasn't started one business, not two business, not three business, not four. She started eight different businesses, and she's been a business owner for almost 40 years. It's pretty incredible. So she'll be joining us today, and one of her businesses is the Business Ventures Corporation, where essentially she helps customers learn how to become profitable with their business, and hey, actually stay profitable. You know, It's all about actually, how do I actually make money with my business and really use my business to really have the life that I, I want to have? So she's helping clients. One of her clients we're going to talk about today that she's helped uh, actually went from $750,000 in revenue to $9 million in cash. We'll talk about that story on the show. She's also written five books, two of which have become number one bestsellers. One is called The Courage to be Profitable, and the other is called Profit or Wealth. You can find both of those books on her website, ruthking.info. Ruth, it's so great to have you here today. Thank you for joining Thank you for having me, Blake. I appreciate it. Well, it, it's, it, I meant what I said in the bio. It's just, it's special when we have people on the podcast who um, they, they, they get business. They've been in business. And I, I was joking with you before I hit record. I was on your website. I was watching the Fox News interview. And I just thought, man, it's, it's just, it's great when someone has made a habit of um, really learning a lot about business and being experienced in business. So we're just, we're just ready to learn what we can from you today. Uh, so thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So I guess we're going to just unload my brain today. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yes. Yes. Today's going to be a, a massive download of um, all the great wisdom that you have. And it's tough because our, our show format is so short, but someone like you, when you come on the show, it's like, oh my gosh, there, there has to be 50 million different insights mm -hmm. that you have. And not just insights. I mean, you must have an opinion on um, just business culture today. You know, th there's a lot of different... Um, 
elements of that from like hustle culture to um, I'm sure you've seen on social media, people are very quick to say, yeah, you know, just do this one thing and you'll become a multimillionaire. And so yeah, right. we've, <laughs> <laughs> we've made business ownership so easy, I guess, in people's mind. And so I'm sure you haven't depended on all this, but um, before we jump into anything, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. And how are you doing today too? <laughs> I'm doing great. I have my coffee. Um, I have a one and a half year old, or actually she's one in uh, four months. And um, my wife took her this morning so that I could um, just be ready for my day. And so she's super generous, super kind. But um, do you have kids? I do. She's 32. Okay. So, so I've been where you are. <laughs> for <me. laughs> I'm 33. And so you have my whole life worth of advice you can share with me. But um, well, great. Tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. I started out as a chemical engineer and I found out I absolutely hated chemical engineering when I got into the real world. And I went back to school, got my MBA and found out that I was incredibly good with numbers and explaining numbers. And I had always, you know, I've been an entrepreneur. Even when I was a kid, I knew I was going to always have my own business because I sold flowers when I was a kid. We did all sorts of things to make money, not only babysitting and stuff like that, but I did a whole lot of things and had a whole lot of businesses when I was young. So it was not a great transition into business ventures, which was my first business and still is my first business. So um, over the years, I started the Women's Entrepreneurial Center in Decatur, Georgia, which was... Um, the first way before sunset legislation, we didn't know whether it was going to end. Um, and so did a lot of work helping small business owners and women, especially no offense to the guys. And I'm sorry. Um, and we did a, I did a year long program with SBA and the YWCA. And we took a group of women from every Saturday, except for holidays and taught them how to start their business. We started with about a hundred. We, ended up with about 60 who actually graduated. And I looked at it and say, okay, 40 people didn't start their business because they realized they didn't have the money. They didn't want to put the time in. They didn't want to put the effort in. And you know, those who did did the homework and, and did really, really, really well because they were very prepared. And, and that's really the key. You know, you mentioned in the open you know, social media, do this one thing and you'll be a millionaire. Yeah, right. Doesn't happen that way. It's, you know, it's a lot of hard work, um, but if you've got the passion for doing something and a reason for being in business other than making money, then you will be fine. I love that last thing you just said. Yeah. It feels like I keep talking to people who they, they've grown successful businesses and I keep hearing the central theme of it's not just about money. I mean, we're, no. we're going to be talking today about how to make your business profitable, but, but it's not just about money. And also I've heard it's not just about you. Uh, talk to me a little bit more about your, what you mean by that expression of it's, it's not about just making money. You'll be miserable if all you want to do is get money out of the business. I mean, you don't, you won't put the effort in when a customer calls you on the phone complaining, um, it's like, okay, do I really want to do this? Is it really worth it? I mean, there are there are reasons for starting businesses. And you know, when we look at it, I, I actually think that there are three types of businesses. Um, there's business as a lifestyle, there's business as a tool, and there's business as tra transformation. So business as a lifestyle, yeah, all you really and truly do care about is enough cash coming in the door to fund your lifestyle, which is okay. I mean, it's not necessarily bad or good or whatever it is. It's how you want to handle business. But you don't really care about growth. You don't really care about employees. You don't care about P&Ls. You care about enough cash flow to 
for all intents and purposes, support your lifestyle. Most of us, um, our business is a tool. We start our businesses because we want to do something. We want to solve a problem. We want to solve a need. We want to take care of customers in a specific geographic area. We're generally growing somewhere between five and probably at most 20, but most company owners grow somewhere between five and 10. We care about our employees. We care about making sure there's a roof over their heads. We care about our customers. Not that the lifestyle business doesn't, but the lifestyle business doesn't want employees, doesn't want to grow. So they're just supporting. Um, Here we want to grow a business to serve a purpose. It's a tool to be able to do something. And then we have what I call the transformation business. And those are the businesses that are exponential growth. They want to solve world hunger. They want to solve you know, the problem of water in the world. You know, there's some major, major thing that they're doing. And obviously, cash flow is important at that point. Exponential growth is important at that point. And probably venture capital is important for that group too. So we all definitely got into business for different reasons. Uh, and I think we all have a similar understanding once we get into business, which is, wow, this is hard. This is a lot harder than people online make it seem. Um, there's this culture of entrepreneurship is very sexy. Um, it's really cool to be an entrepreneur. But I'm sure you would have even plenty of stories to share on this, but I'm sure you would agree that getting into business and actually running a business is not very sexy. It's actually really challenging and hard. For the businesses that you've worked with, what are some of the most common challenges that you see people going through on a day-to-day basis? Cash flow. Number Mm -hmm. one, cash flow. Number two, making sure that you're profitable enough and that you're taking care of the customers and providing value to the customers. Um, yeah, the real, the really funny part about it and the really sad part about it is you can be profitable and go out of business. And that's the scary part about all of it. I mean, the, the most recent example is COVID. I mean, for all intents and purposes, the world shut down. I had one of my clients who had 80% of his business in restaurants. If he had not pivoted, he wouldn't be here today. And he was very profitable. But you know, sometimes there are economic forces. Sometimes there are um, customer forces. I had one client who had three of his major customers file bankruptcy on him the same week. I know Murphy came and bit him in the butt. He just did. And leaving him holding the bag for more than a million dollars in receivables and took him out too because he couldn't fund the business because he didn't have the cash coming in. So when I really quickly said cash flow, cash is really important because it's the thing that you do to number one, build wealth. But number two, also be able to sleep better at night, knowing mm-hmm. that you know if a customer doesn't pay you today, I still have enough money to make payroll tomorrow. You know, those are the types of things that you that you can deal with, and and you can sleep better knowing that you have enough cash in the bank. And, you know, and one of the questions is, well, how much is enough? You know, I had um, one of the guys I know who shall remain nameless had north of eight hundred thousand dollars in his checking account, and everybody was saying to him, it's too much, it's too much, too much, take some money out of business. Well, as it turns out, um, he got sued by this very litigious company who's known for it um, over an employee that he hired. He ultimately prevailed, but he had, he ended up over three years spending $700,000 in legal fees. Wow. So was 800000 in the bank too much? No, it really and truly wasn't. Had he not had that cash, he couldn't have hired the best attorneys that he could possibly had. He would have had to worry about where he could fund his legal fees. But knowing that he had enough cash in the bank to be able to handle it, 
mm-hmm. made him be able to focus on business that much more than worrying about cash flow. So you never know. How much of this conversation is like um, mitigating risk where it's like, okay, I think, I think I'm going to be okay. Cause I mean like COVID for example, is the perfect example of something that no one could have really seen coming on the same token. There will always be some kind of disruptor to our business hopefully not as as awful as covid was but but what's the balance between okay i'm mitigating risk versus um because in some cases i mean you hear stories like some of the ones you just mentioned and you kind of think okay was the person unwise or just unlucky so like how do you find how do you find that that and which doesn't feel very good for us as business owners when we think about okay is there is some of our business future up to chance but is it is the answer just to store away as much cash as we can? Is it you know we're just hoping that we're you know putting enough away and that we don't have like a an uh oh moment? I mean, what's your what's your take on that? Well, I have two rules. Number one is you never have more than twenty percent of your business with any one industry, and no more than twenty percent of your business with any one client. So some of the risk, as you say, risk mitigation. That goes away when that happens because if the client goes away and they're less than 20% of your business, you will survive. If the industry goes away and it's less than 20%, you will survive. All right. So try to have business in a lot of different industries with a lot of different people. And the risk mitigation is is greater at that point, rather than you have 80% of your revenues with one client. And suppose that client gets sold, gets bought, goes out of business, you're sunk. Yeah, you're absolutely sunk. So I think some of it is planning. Um, I think some of it is how comfortable you are with risk because there are so many people who are very risk averse. And so they have cash upon cash upon cash upon cash in savings accounts. So they have like a year's worth of cash saved. So, mm-hmm. you know, if whatever happens, they know they can survive for a year. All right. And, and some people are like that. Other people go, nope, I care only about three weeks worth of payroll. I mean, those, <laughs> I'm not sure I can handle that, to tell you the honest truth. But some people have that ability to do that, and, and that's fine because that's how they handle risk. Um, the thing is that you have to be comfortable with it. And, and that really means, and I know I'm getting into numbers here, and I, you know, and numbers is part of what I do. It means you truly have to understand your budgets. You truly have to understand your cash flow. You truly have to understand your sales cycle. You truly have to understand your collection cycle. And those things will tell you, you know, what your cash is going to be. And then as a result of that, you can say, okay, I want to take 1% of every dollar that comes in the door and I'm putting it away. All right. So that sounds like that's not a whole lot of money. It's not on a thousand dollars coming in the door. It's 10 bucks. I promise you, you can still operate on $990. It doesn't, you know, it's cool. But that $10 and that $10 and that $10 and that $10 adds up over a period of time. And when COVID started, I can't tell you how many of my clients called me on the phone and said, thank you for making us put the money away. We can survive. It does not matter what happens. We can survive. And that's true. If you have enough cash in the bank, you know whether you are profitable or not, um, well, obviously, you got to be profitable, but uh, you're in a situation where you sleep better at night, you don't have the stress, and you can focus on doing what it takes to pivot and taking care of your clients and your customers. Do you ever feel like, sometimes I talk with people who are, um, the only way I can, I can describe them is like overly hipster about their business in the sense of they're so passionate and excited about what they sell that when you start having conversations like your PL or your budget or cash flow or things like that, 
um, the energy sort of drains out of their face. And they're like, you're kind of weighing me down with this kind of stuff. You know, you're talking about these things that um, I would argue are business basics. And yet it feels like more and more, um, I actually just saw a post the other, an ad as I was scrolling through Facebook that said basically, hey, you don't need a PL, just do this. Oh, and yeah, I, right. I, I, but I'm seeing this more and more from, um, frankly, I think some are doing it maliciously, but these, digital marketing gurus who are, um, they know what buttons to press to get people to buy from them. But on the same token, I find myself in these conversations with business owners who are kind of like, do I, do I really need to do that? Do I really need to? Um, in fact, I was talking to, someone, talking to someone the other day where I asked them about their annual revenue numbers. And they said, oh, I, I, I just try not to bog myself down with stuff like that. And I'm thinking you're the business owner. Like if you don't, if you don't know it, then who does? So do you ever find yourself with any kind of pushback or having to convince people like, hey, no, this this really is important. Like you really do want to do this or or maybe even not people who think it's unimportant, but people who just simply haven't cut out the time in their business to be diligent about these sorts of things. Well, until something awful happens to them, they won't. All right. <laughs> um, you know, and it really is truly is, is, is that way because most people don't pay attention to the financials until they get in trouble, all right? And I'll give you a perfect story of that. Um, two guys started a business. This is different than the one we talked about before. And they started it out of their pockets. So the, the only thing they cared about is they had enough cash to take their discounts from their suppliers. They could pay their bills and there was money left over in their pockets, all right? So they grew the business from zero to $2 million over about a 12-year period. This was a while ago. Um, and they hit $2 million in growth stopped. And so within a short period of time, they started not always being able to take their discounts or having problems coming up with payroll every once in a while. And they go, wait a minute, we're a $2 million company. We've never had this problem. There is something wrong. So mm-hmm. I got a phone call. And to make a long story short, they were losing a nickel for every dollar that came in the door for, for 12 years. And growth masks so many problems because the money from one project or one job funds the next one. And as long as more and more projects keep coming in the door, you never, ever, ever see the cash shortfall. And you never, and if you don't pay your attention to your PL, your balance sheet, guess what? You'll never know that you're not profitable because you're just worried about the cash piece of it. And as a result, you know, that was like, where were you 20 years ago? It's like, <laughs> I mean, come on, let's be real here. Um, but they ended up raising their prices. They ended up um, actually had several of their, com- their customers called them and say, we didn't think you could create and provide that much quality in the products and services that you sell for the prices you were selling it at. And I was like, yeah, yeah I know. Um, but anyway, we solved that particular issue. So if you're really, really growing and, you know, you're young and you're, I'm talking about young in business, i.e. pretty new, sure. not young in age, but young in business. And you're growing leaps and bounds and all you're worrying about is cash flow. You could be losing a dime for every dollar that comes in the door or a quarter. And you'll never, ever, ever see it because the money coming in the door from finishing one thing starts the next, starts the next. And we're continuing to get more money in the door. And you're sitting there in la-la land and fat, dumb and happy land, if you want to call it that way, until you stop growing. And then all of a sudden you can't pay payroll, you can't pay your bills. And, you know, I mean, we've had five good years, 10 good years, what in the world is going on? And then when you do the analysis, you find out We've, you know, losing five cents, six cents, you know, two cents for every dollar that comes in the door. 
and you killed it. I mean, you killed your business. Well, and I, I understand why hearing that story helps me understand why you're sometimes called the profitability master. And obviously you're in these conversations with people on, hey, do you do you even realize the money that's um, sort of leaking out of your wallet, so to speak? I, I want to talk about one business that I mentioned in the bio uh, or in the introduction of the podcast, uh, a business that before they were working with you uh, had around $750,000 in revenue. And then 16 years later, when they sold the business, uh, they sold it for $9 million in cash. Tell us a little bit about that story. Well, they actually bought the business from their former boss. There was two partners and it was around 750000 when they bought it. Both of them were really good at what they did. Neither of them really understood how to run a business. So they were smart enough in the beginning to say, hey, we need help. And so we, we went through all of their um, pricing to make sure it was right. We went up looking at their sales process. And as they grew, we ended up with very, what I call no man's land and at times, because at, you reach a certain level and then all of a sudden you have to add overhead to be able to support what revenue you have and what expenses you have. And you, your profits go down and then you grow through that piece of it. And then when you have to add a true management layer, you know, with all the managers in place so that you're truly departmentalized is another overhead layer. And it was really interesting to watch and help them go through the processes because both of them had a passion for the business. Both of them wanted to do really well with it. And by the time they hit about 10 years in business, one of them wanted out more so than the other. And you know, the, the one thing that did really well in the beginning was have a good buy-sell agreement, a good partnership agreement. Um, they had a really good lawyer put it together. And so if you're in business with a partner, please have one. Yeah, when you're still friends, mm -hmm. because it's not, you know, when things are going bad and there's no partnership agreement or buy-sell agreement is when things get really awful and really nasty. Um, so anyway, um, we looked at it and, you know, one of them wanted to sell, the other one didn't. And then the other one wanted to sell and the other one didn't. And so we finally came to it and they valued the business and they literally walked out the door with $9 million in cash on a $10 million business. And they're both now really happy, you know, doing what they're doing now. Um, one of them is actually doing a lot of real estate deals and things along those lines, buying houses, fixing them up, um, renting them out and things like that. And the other um, <laughs> is happily retired. He still bikes all over the place. He does the century bikes. He um, started his old band back up, rides his motorcycles and is having a good old time. So, you, you know, you get out of it what you want. Yeah, well, so I, I know this is one of your biggest success stories. Talk to me a little bit about uh, some of the influence you had on their business and some of the work you did with them. Well, number one, we did a budget. And I know <laughs> some of them in, in here is like, you know, it's not a budget. I don't want to do it. But we literally every single year we had a budget and we tied month to budget. We tied weeks to budget. So I knew every week that we were on budget or we weren't on budget. And from that perspective, can, you know, most people will say, okay, for 16 years, we had, we had a budget, but we, they knew exactly what they had to bring in the door. They knew exactly what their sales cycle was. They knew exactly what their costs were and whether it was hitting budget or not. And it was very simple, you know, now that we look back on it eight, 16 years later, but, you know, doing those things and putting the growth plan in place and, and, and those types of things really makes it happen, all right? If you look at it every week and you look at it every month when you get a P&L on a balance sheet, 
you're really forcing yourself to say, okay, are we on track? Are we not on track? Does it take time to create the budget? Absolutely. Without a doubt. However, it's probably the, you know, once you do it for a couple of years, it's, it's a lot easier than putting it together for the first time. Um, Cause then we can say, okay, what do we want to do this year? What, you know, where's the market at? What's going on here? Um, and we could do it pretty easily because we had history and we had background, but if you're just starting out, your budget's going to be a dartboard in the beginning. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, thinking about just starting out, uh, I, I want to go back to something you mentioned at the start of this episode, and it's your your backstory of essentially um, you had this entrepreneurial nature and you eventually um, started your business, business ventures. Um, you started some other businesses too. Uh, but this little detail about having been a chemical engineer is so funny <laughs> to me because it feels like more and more I talk to people who are like, oh yeah, I went to school for this, but that's not, that's not what I do. I, I'd love to hear, because I, I think a lot of people who listen to the podcast are, um, can, can sympathize with that. They can empathize with that because they started a business that really maybe wasn't what they went to school for, so to speak, or envisioned doing as they got older. And um, some of which are maybe even in a nine to five job right now. And they're thinking, you know what, this really doesn't scratch the itch for me. It's really not what I thought it would be. And they're kind of dreaming about that side hustle they have becoming, becoming their full-time gig. I'd love to hear more about when you got into um, doing what you were doing, was there any kind of fear or shock into, okay, wow, I'm, I went to school for this. It's not, you don't become an engineer overnight. I'm, I'm now, I'm in this career, this field that doesn't necessarily drive me. Um, can you share more about that? Well, I think it, it was more upsetting to my dad who paid for my college education <laughs> than it was. <laughs> yeah, I had always known that I was going to have a business, you know, whatever it was. I had two summer jobs in chemical engineering, loved both of them, got in the real world and absolutely hated it. So um, went back to school, got my MBA, and started working for the Small Business Development Center. And I set up one, the first ones in Decatur, Georgia. And you know, the MBA taught me a whole lot uh, in terms of the financial side and the accounting side and those types of things. But many, my first book, The Ugly Truth About Small Business, was really was originally called Entrepreneurial Terror, and what you know, I had been reading. Um, Wilson Harrell, who in Entrepreneur Magazine, who used to talk about entrepreneurial terror. And I said, yeah, it can't be that bad. Yeah, right. <laughs> get, in the, <laughs> get in the real world. And so originally, the ugly truth about small business, I had named it that. And then 9-11 hit. And so the publisher started um, pre-selling the book. And to a person, they said, if you put the title entrepreneurial terror on here, we're not going to buy this book. And so I had, you know, it was all done. It was all finished. So we had to change the name of the book. And um, it really did become the other truth about small business. It's 50 stories of horrendous things that happened to you and how we all survived it, including mine, which was um, I, we had a project and um, about $1.8 million in venture capital. I put a half million dollars into it. And we, they called us one day and said, we're not doing the project anymore. It was not a good day. <laughs> <laughs> So I ended up going outside, um, crying on the curb outside my office. And my dad's little voice said to me, 
pick yourself up, dust yourself off and keep going. Mm. And so you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off and you keep going. And then, you know, it, it, we ended up starting it. It was one of my businesses and it's still going today, actually. And, you know, you just, I mean, stuff happens. You just have to have the mindset and the ability to pivot and the ability to say, yeah, this really stunk or this was really awful. What am I going to do about it? Where am I going to go? How am I going to get there? Sometimes it's just talking to people about it. Sometimes it's reading the stories of others and getting ideas, which is what that book was all about. Um, and it's really just doing it. If you've got a passion for what you do, I mean, I am totally passionate about numbers. You can't tell, right? And I try to make it really, really easy and really, really simple so that you know business owners aren't afraid of it. You know, I think CPAs have made it into this big thing that is, you know, you can't understand the stuff. Garbage. Accounting was invented in the 1300s by the Venetian monks who didn't have a calculator, didn't have QuickBooks, didn't have anything that we've got today. Yeah, the Chinese had abacuses, but they weren't talking to the Italians. So they had to make it really simple. The format for a P&L and a balance sheet and everything else like that has not changed in more than, a, you know, what, 800 years, yeah. thereabouts. I mean, it's not hard. You have done something harder when you started your business. This is actually, if somebody explains it to you in English, light bulb goes on and you go, got it. Why did I ever think this was so hard? Mm. I, I think I think there's something encouraging about, first of all, hearing your story, but also reminding ourselves that uh, business can be really ugly. And we all have sort of those ugly days in our business, which I, for me, I think it's really challenging to be a young business owner. Um in the sense of a, a newer business owner, only because social media has cultured content so well around the overnight success story, um, the person who loves to post. I, for example, I saw a guy who was posting about his, his, you know, in his words, his multi-million dollar business and how he had quit his job just a few months ago and just couldn't believe, you know, how amazing it was. And um, out of curiosity, I was scrolling through his, his profile cause, only because I'm a bit nar uh, pessimistic, narcissistic. That was the wrong word. <laughs> I'm, a bit nar I'm a bit of a narcissist, I like to proudly say. No, I'm a bit pessimistic about this kind of stuff. And uh, saw that he had started his business about eight years ago. And I thought, I thought that's, I, I didn't think much about it other than I'm used to seeing stories like that. And for me, it doesn't affect my day to day, but I, for young business owners I talk to who are really burned out, exhausted, and tired, I've heard them tell stories of, I just, I must be doing something wrong because I see these success stories where everything just seems to be working and yet it's not working for me. And not that we well, don't have these challenges, but, but go ahead. They did. They, everybody does. I mean, you know, think about it from a, you know, somebody who's a singer or somebody who's an actress. How many years before they become the overnight success? I mean, if you just look at the backstory for all, most everybody, yeah, somebody's going to get lucky every once in a while and just get found, of course. But the majority of us work for a long time, you know, plotting and, you know, look at the guys who started at 750 and we took it to 10 million. It took 16 years. Mm. And they're also, you know, and they're happy. You know, they, they did really good things for their customers. They did really good things for their clients. They were happy most of the time as partners doing it. And we were making budget and we were meeting budget and we were doing, you know, what was planned to be doing. And at some point they said enough, you know, enough's enough. We want out. And, you know, most people do not have an overnight success. Their overnight success is, you know, 
five years in the making, eight years in the making, 10 years in the making. If you read the stories of people who are real, like the ones that I have, and I hate to talk about that book because it's not the financials, but if you read the stories in the ugly truth about small business, you're going to really and truly see what happens because these are 50 of us who went through horrific experiences survived and what we learned and what you can do so that you don't make those mistakes. And so many people that I've talked to who've read the book would say, thank you. You know, I thought I was alone. You're not, you know, social media may be whatever, you know, and promoting specific things. But again, you don't know the story behind the story. Mm -hmm. And if you got the story behind the story, you're going to see, you know, as you found out, the guy had been in business for eight years. Um, I'm sure he had some tough times in the beginning. We all overnight success. That's right. And we all have those tough times, which is why it's so valuable having people like you on the podcast who can share your insights and your good advice. Um, Ruth, this has been a great conversation today. I so appreciate you joining me on the podcast. For people who are listening, who they're thinking, wow, this person's amazing. I want to connect with this person. I want to know like what's next with this person. How can they follow you? How can they get a hold of some of your content? What does that look like? If you go to ruthking.info, I have everything on there. Um, my Twitter handle is at Ruth King. LinkedIn is Ruth King one. Um, and those are the two social media entities, if you want to call it that way, that I actually do use. But you know, ruthking.info is really the best way to get a hold of me. Perfect. Well, like I said, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great. I appreciate it. Thanks, Blake. And have a great day. Great. Hey, for our listeners, I'm going to put the link to www.ruthking.info down in the episode description below. Definitely make sure you check out one of her books. They're all listed on her website. Uh, and hey, by the way, if you've been enjoying the podcast, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button or that follow button and keep getting good advice wherever you are. And hey, if you want to support the podcast, if you want to get your business advertised on the podcast, remember you can do so at our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash good advice. Again, that's patreon.com slash good advice. And hey, we so appreciate you. Thanks for listening. That is this episode's good advice. We'll catch you later.